Hi, I'm George Foreman. Do you have an idea for a new product or invention? People ask me all the time, George, how do I get my idea in front of companies? How do I get a patent? What do I do next? Do you have the same questions? I'll tell you like I'll tell them all. Call my friends at InventHelp. Call InventHelp today for free information. InventHelp can submit your invention to companies who are interested in receiving new ideas. To get your free inventor's information, call 1-800-352-3719. That's 1-800-352-3719. This is Radio Influence. Podcasting redefined. This is Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. A look inside the biggest and most controversial news stories you need to know now. One of the country's most relied upon law enforcement analysts, Vincent Hill. Hey, good evening and welcome to Beyond the Badge. You know who I am. It's Vincent Hill. You know where I'm coming from. Atlanta, Georgia. You know what day it is. It's Tuesday and you know what time it is. It's 8 p.m. That means you're listening to me, Vincent Hill, right here on RadioInfluence.com on Beyond the Badge. And I hope everyone had a very safe and happy Thanksgiving. I know I ate more than I probably should have. Of course, I've been starving myself for the last few days now, eating stuff I don't even eat, like fish and salads and stuff, you know, all to get rid of that weight that I put on for Thanksgiving. And I'm sure a lot of you did some Black Friday shopping. I didn't. I'm not really too much in the crowds. But one thing I did do was, uh, you know, I was at my brother's house here in Georgia My parents came down. My daughter came down. uh, My in-laws, my sister-in-law's father came down. So we went and took this family portrait and it was, you know, myself, my daughter, my parents, uh, my brother, his wife and his children. And of course, they were Christmas uh, portraits. So we had to wear red jackets. And I was so against these red jackets because, A, I don't like red and B, when we were all in there with all this red on, I swear to God, we looked like the uh, Bloods gang. And if anybody that knows gangs knows that Bloods wear nothing but red. And I was just thinking to myself now, if someone in blue, which is usually what the Crips wear, come in here, it's going to look like we're having this big gang fight at this portrait studio. Uh, but anyway, we were taking Christmas pictures. I guess they turned out nice. I'm not really a picture type guy. I hate pictures. I hate taking pictures. I hate being in pictures. Uh, So I'm sure my family will have to let me know how the Bloods, I'm sorry, the Hills Christmas card, Christmas pictures came out. And speaking of Black Friday, there's a few things I want to talk about tonight that have me really, 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 really pissed off, really, 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 really upset. And some of these things have cost cities a lot of money. Some of these things have affected other people. Some of these things have affected commerce. And, you know, Black Friday, it's a day for people to go out, do all their Christmas shopping. They get all these sales. They get all this great stuff. Well, in the city of Chicago, for the second year in a row, there were Black Lives Matter protesters protesting In the streets of Chicago, blocking off one of their historical shopping districts and blocking a Nike store. How ironic is that when 
the majority of people that buy Nikes are African American people. But they were protesting because of the treatment of blacks in Chicago by white police officers, and this all sparked because of the shooting death of Laquan McDonald a couple of years ago. But here's what I don't understand. So you got hundreds of people coming out, protesting someone that was walking down the street with a knife, running from police, who was shot by police. That officer's on trial, so they got what they wanted there. But in that same city, that same city on Thanksgiving Day, 12, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 12 people, 12 black males were shot in the city of Chicago. Where was the protest for that? Oh, and by the way, it was white police officers that came to assist in some of these shootings. So where were the protests in that? Where were the Black Lives Matter movement in that? What sense does it make to protest all of this stuff that you say is racism with the city of Chicago's police department, but you don't protest when 12 black people were shot by 12 other black people? And I I said this a few weeks ago. And I'll say it again. That to me is just like using the word nigger. Or as black people say, nigger. I guess if you take the ER off, it makes it different. It's okay if black people say it to each other all day, every day. We hear it in our, in our songs. Females call their men that. Oh, that's my nigger. Blah, blah, blah. It's cool if black people do it. But it's not cool if white people do it. So it's cool that 12 black people on Thanksgiving Day, the day of giving thanks, the day where you should be on the toilet because you ate so much, that day it's okay that 12 black people were shot by 12 other black people. But if that would have been 12 black men shot by 12 white police officers, it would have been a problem, right? To me, that gives a whole new meaning to the word Black Friday, because you got the Black Lives Matter movement protesting on something they say is racial. It's all of this other stuff, but no one's protesting the black people getting killed. To me, that's Black Friday. It's a cloud. People are dying left and right in droves. People are dying in the city of Chicago and across this country. But no one seems to care about that because it's okay that black people are killing black people. It's cool. And in fact, during Thanksgiving and, you know, me being a Republican and being black and being at Thanksgiving dinner with people who, let's just say, aren't Republican, my family, it was a little bit difficult. And There was a shooting that happened, I guess, somewhere in Charleston, South Carolina. And uh, the the individual that uh, was shot was black. The guy that shot him was white. And apparently there was a scuffle in the mall or something like that. And some words were exchanged. Whatever. I don't know the details. I didn't follow the story. And, you know, my mom brought it up first that, oh, this white man killed another black guy. And before she could go any further, I stopped her and I said, well, in Louisville, Kentucky, 
two black kids were killed at a annual Thanksgiving football game by a rival gang member who was black. But no one's talking about that. So then somewhere down the road later on Thanksgiving Day after we had taken the bloods, I mean, I'm sorry, the Hill Christmas pictures, uh, my dad brought it up and he's like, yep, since Trump is in office, that's why the guy shot him. And I'm like, uh, Trump had nothing to do with that. Well, Trump, Trump's given them a license to kill black people. What? Uh, now, I followed the ca- campaign pretty, pretty closely. I followed a lot of stuff that Donald Trump said. I don't ever recall him saying, when I get elected, the 45th president elect, you have a license to kill black people. I don't recall saying that. But, you know, I did say that Trump had nothing to do with that. That was this individual's sick mind if he wanted to shoot this guy because they just bumped into each other and they had a scuffle. That was his sick mind. But, again, black people, Dad, are killing each other in droves, but no one is speaking out about it. It's that type of stuff that ticks me off. And that's why I say it gives new meaning to Black Friday. There's this dark cloud of what's really going on in black communities across this country. And there's this black cloud that has everyone so in the dark that they can't see it. They can only hear what they're told. Yeah, they see on TV that, oh, Alton Sterling got shot by a white police officer. Oh, Freddie Gray died in police custody. Oh. Tamir Rice was shot by a white police officer. They see, they see it, but they don't see it and understand it. There's this dark black cloud over people's eyes that has them so blinded by what's really going on. You know, another thing that really has me really pissed off, uh, and anybody that pays taxes in the city of Baton Rouge should really be upset about this too. Remember a few months ago, uh, back in July, the shooting of Alton Sterling by a white police officer in Baton Rouge. And of course it sparked protest and marches and riots and all of this stuff in Baton Rouge. And it led to the Baton Rouge police officers being killed by someone who was upset about that shooting. But let me give you a little back history. So Alton Sterling, a known convicted felon, who had been convicted of sexual assaults, robberies, drug charges, who couldn't have a gun, all that good stuff, was at a supermarket or gas station, grocery store, whatever the heck it is. The uh, owner had told him to leave several times. Someone called 911, said Alton threatened him with a gun. So guess what? Police show up. Guess what? They happen to be white police officers. Guess what? Alton happens to be black. Hmm. Racial or circumstances you got a gun someone calls police police show up i'm gonna go with circumstances so anyway you can see on the cell phone video that alton gets in a scuffle with police you can hear one of the officers say gun 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 then you can hear a gunshot usually when you hear the words gun 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 it's usually followed by a gunshot that means someone had a gun the police shot said person with gun Open and shut case, right? Not so much. Because again, white officers, black suspect. Racial or circumstances? Of course, 
Again, I'm going with circumstances, but this goes back to the whole Black Friday mentality. Everyone's blinded by that black cloud of mainstream media. So, again, protest, all of this good stuff. People get arrested for protesting for blocking highways, which is illegal. Now, the city of Baton Rouge, and this is going to tick you off because it ticked me off because Alton Sterling, again, he was convicted of a lot of crimes. One, having sex with a minor. To me, you have sex with a minor, you're a sick individual, and I feel no sympathy for you anyway. But you fight with police and you have a gun, and the police see the gun. Oh, he was on the ground. So what? He had a gun. I can show you a hundred ways that I can get the gun out of my pocket if I'm on the ground. So it makes no difference to me. But the city of Baton Rouge has decided to pay $100,000 to those that got arrested. Not 100000 apiece. They're going to divvy it up. And part of it goes to their bail. Part of it goes to legal fees. Part of it goes to in their pocket. And, of course, one of the uh, people arrested there in Baton Rouge was one of the most vocal members of the BLM movement, uh, DeRay McKisson, right? So he's like, oh, it's great that we got this money. Maybe it will change the way police arrest people. Well, here's what I want changed. Why in the hell is the city of Baton Rouge paying money to people who committed a crime? And what message does that send? Oh, well, we can still go protest. We can still block roads. And if we get arrested, don't worry. Man, we're going to get a paycheck. So not only are we going to break the law, not only are we going to look foolish because we're protesting that something we know nothing about and something that really isn't what the mainstream media says it is. But if we protest, man, we can sue and we're going to get a check. What kind of foolishness is that? What judge, what politician, what attorney agreed to cost the city of Baton Rouge taxpayers, because that's where it's coming from. Somebody didn't just write a $100,000 check. That's where it's coming from. Taxpayers' pockets. Who approved that crap? Now, let me tell you what you should have done with this $100,000. There were three Baton Rouge police officers killed a few weeks later for just simply doing their jobs. And let me think what their family got. Hold, let me think. Hold, please. Hold, please. Um, they got jack shit. So here's a guy who fought with police, resisted arrest, had a gun. Now you got people coming in in droves from other cities. Because remember, the Black Lives Matter movement, I said it, it's been proven, was nothing but a funded entity that would go around and cause havoc and cause all these protests. Now you got people getting paid because they were unjustly arrested when they were stupid enough to block interstates, which is against the law. It's a misdemeanor, but we're giving out $100,000 in this class action lawsuit when the officers' families got nothing? If that does not piss you off, Give it about 20 seconds and let it sink in. And I assure you, it's going to piss you off the way it pissed me off when I first read about it. 
But the money doesn't just stop at the hundred grand because remember, because of Obama and Loretta Lynch and all of these other people, let's not forget the Department of Justice is investigating Baton Rouge police based on this shooting, just like they did in Baltimore. And I'll touch on that in a second. So this was July. This is now November. The investigation is still ongoing, which means somebody is paying these investigators to investigate the city of Baton Rouge Police Department. So not only did a hundred grand just get forked out because of this, a known criminal who had a gun, who fought with police, who had a history of fighting with police, by the way, with guns. Not only is a hundred grand now out the window going to these protesters, let's not forget the millions of dollars that it's costing to investigate the Baton Rouge Police Department over a known criminal. How much money do you think this is going to cost the city of Baton Rouge, the United States government, after this is all said and done because of Alton Sterling? And then again, ask yourself, out of all of that money spent, how much of that went to the families of those dead officers? 0.00. Now, I'm on a roll, so on to the next thing I'm pissed off about tonight. So, uh, what was the guy's name in uh, Minnesota? Uh, Philando Castile, the one that, you know, his baby mama live-streamed the shooting of him on Facebook. Now that officer's charged with manslaughter. I told you about that last week, but I read an article and it kind of made me laugh. Then it really pissed me off because it's saying that this officer who shot him, this wasn't, it was a horrifying fact that this was not the first time this officer had dealt with him. And I'm thinking, Oh my God, what, what is this horrifying fact? So it was MSNBC who did this piece. And it says that records show that, officer had stopped or he helped in the booking of Castile back in 2011 when he was driving on a suspended license. And I'm like, okay, so just so I'm clear, it's horrifying that way back when five years before the shooting death, way back when, when this officer had only been on the job for two weeks, which means he was likely riding with the field training officer FTO. And he just simply happened to be the guy who assisted in the booking that he's dealt with Castile in the past. That's horrifying. No, that's not horrifying. And then that article went on to say that this just proves credence that uh, his driving record, uh, you know, because Castile had a horrible driving record. He had been stopped like 50 something times. And it just proves that police target black people for misdemeanor crimes. Mm, no, that's not true. But to that, I say this, right? If I know my driver's license is suspended and I know if I get in my car and drive that chances are the police that have seen me before have stopped me before know that my driver's license is suspended, I'm probably going to get stopped. So instead of putting the blame on the fact that I'm a black man driving a car and I'm being harassed, I'm going to put it on 
myself to say, hey, I shouldn't be the stupid idiot to get in my car knowing that I don't have a license, knowing that I know police know this, knowing that I could get stopped and I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to play the race game. Right. So for them to say, oh, it's a horrifying fact that he stopped them before is total bullcrap, because let me explain something to you. True story. I arrested the same guy. He was white, by the way. So I guess they can say it's racial <laughs> racial because I'm black. I arrested the same guy three times for DUI, not because I profiled him, not because of that. The first time I just stopped him because of a taillight or whatever it was. I knew he was drunk. I gave him field sobriety. He failed. He blew. He was drunk. His license was suspended. Guess what? A few months later, as I'm driving by my patrol zone, because that's what officers do. They drive in their patrol zone and they get to know their patrol zone. Guess who I see driving? Huh? Wait a minute, sir. I know your license is suspended because I've arrested you for DUI before. Guess what? He was driving on a suspended license. And guess what? He was intoxicated. So guess what I did? I arrested him again for DUI and driving on suspended. Guess what? The third time, the exact same thing, leaving the exact same spot. Was I looking for this guy? No, I'm just in my patrol zone and I know the people I've come in contact with. It doesn't mean I'm profiling this guy. It doesn't mean I pinpointed him. So for this article to say, oh, well, his driving record comes into question. Was he being targeted? Well, he may have been being targeted, not because he's black, but because the police knew his driving, his driving license, driver's license was suspended. And if they know that and he's on a public street and he's driving a vehicle, it is against the law. Now, there's a lot of people out there that will say, well, it's just a minor traffic infraction. It's just this. Well, I can tell you how many kilos of cocaine or how many pounds of marijuana I've got from a simple traffic infraction. I can tell you how many people that were wanted for murder I've got from a simple traffic infraction. So for those that say, oh, well, it was just a misdemeanor means nothing because you don't know what the guy was doing inside the car when you stop him. Hell, even his baby mama on the video says he had weed in the car. So not only was he driving on a suspended license, he had marijuana in the car. But in, again, Black Friday, the black cloud, again, instead of people just owning up to what's really going on, oh, this officer stopped him five years ago. So he had to have been targeting him. What? I guarantee that officer probably didn't realize who he had in that car from five years ago. He's lucky if the officer remembers him from five days ago, because in between those five days, he probably stopped a lot of cars. He probably took a few people to jail. He probably went to a lot of calls of service. All of that stuff starts to run together. So for the idiot that says, oh, well, it's horrifying because he stopped him five years ago. You, sir, or ma'am, or whoever wrote the article are a complete idiot because you have no idea what you're talking about. And even if he did, 
The fact remains, Castile was breaking the law on the day he got shot. And we can go into the whole argument that he had a concealed permit, which he did. But the fact is, when you have a gun and police tell you don't move, guess what you don't do? You don't move because that officer, even though it's horrifying and he knew him five years ago, that officer has no idea that what you're saying at that exact moment is the truth. So now that city in Minnesota, I can't remember exactly where, but anyway, now that city's about to waste thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands and possibly millions of dollars because the officer's now on trial for manslaughter or indicted for manslaughter. It's going to go to trial. They're going to find him not guilty when it's all said and done. Mark my words. Then the family's going to sue. You're going to have all of these attorneys that we've seen in the past, Benjamin Crump and all these guys come in, demand money, and the city's going to pay it just to appease the masses. And when there's no indictment, here's what's going to happen. People are going to flock over there again, and they're going to protest, and then they're going to get arrested, and then they're going to sue and get $100,000, just like in Baton Rouge. And if that doesn't piss you off, then there's a problem. I got one more, and I promise I'm done, of the things that has me pissed off. So, remember Baltimore and Freddie Gray and how that trial went and those officers got off. So, I was reading the uh, Department of Justice report because, again, you know, they had to go in and investigate. And it's the same story as it was in Ferguson and everywhere else that police just unfair, unfairly target black people. And... Remember, I always use the word demographics and statistics versus racism, racism, situationalism. Keep that in mind. So this report says unconstitutional stops, searches and arrest. Now it says Baltimore police officers recorded over 300,000 pedestrian stops from January 2010 to May of 2015. First of all, where they're keeping that data. I don't know whether that number is true. I don't know, but it says that number may not be true because of the light. It could be higher because of under reporting. So I guess the Department of Justice is saying that only 300,000 pedestrian stops were reported, but it's actually higher. So what is a pedestrian stop for those that don't know? You're on the corner. You come in contact with an individual on the corner. You stop them. Hey, what is your name? Blah, blah, blah. Do you have any warrants? What are you doing? Yada, yada, yada. So, of course, it says these stops are concentrated in predominantly African-American neighborhoods and often lack reasonable suspicion. Well, let's break this down. If you ever watched the show on HBO, The Wire, and that show actually took place in Baltimore, is based on a true story of a well-known drug dealer from way back in the day. But if you ever watched the show, there was an episode where one of the police officers, one of the majors or captains or whatever, used the term corner boy. What is a corner boy? Well, and just follow me along with this. The corner boy is the guy who is out on the corner selling drugs. The street level dealer. The corner boy, because that's what they do. They stand on the corner. They sell drugs. They hold money. That's a corner boy, right? So it says that the stops are concentrated in predominantly African-American neighborhoods. Now, think about this 
and you can call it races, you can call it whatever, but it's statistical facts because I was in the streets. In what white neighborhoods do you see 10, 15, 20 teens all congregating on a corner at a particular time in the middle of the day with nothing to do besides stand on the corner and approach cars as they pull up or harass people as they walk by or drive by. I can't think of too many white neighborhoods where that occurs. Again, you can call it racism. I call it statistical facts. But what I can tell you is the black neighborhoods that I worked in, in the streets of Nashville, like James Casey Holmes, where that white officer was beaten and people recorded it and put it on World Star. I can tell you that there are corner boys on those corners selling drugs. And I can tell you, yes, we did stop them. And I can tell you that, yes, most of them did not live there. And I can tell you, just like this report says, that uh, the arrest for trespassing was a lot greater in black neighborhoods. Yes, it was, because that is called, to me, proactive policing. If I'm in a housing project patrolling and there's 10 individuals standing on a corner who do not live in said housing project, which by most housing project rules is considered trespassing, then I, as an officer, can arrest you. So the report goes on to say that uh, people were arrested for trespassing without fair warning by the police. Well, in most places, it's marked no trespassing. So if I'm dealing with known corner boy and I stop known corner boy who does not live there, I can arrest him for trespassing. And then what has that actually done? It could have prevented known corner boy, corner boy from selling drugs to kids. It could have prevented him from robbing someone that lives there. It could have prevented him from raping someone that lives there. It could have committed, uh, prevented a whole lot of crimes. So for this report to say that the stops are unconstitutional and only focus in predominantly African American communities. Well, maybe just maybe that should tell this report writer, this highly paid department of justice individual who's probably making six figures to write this nine page report because you know, he wrote a nine, he or she wrote a nine page report and they're just the expert on policing it should probably tell this individual that, huh, maybe this stuff's not really going on in the white neighborhoods that we're talking about. Maybe it is a problem that's going on in the black neighborhood. And maybe, just maybe, we should find a way to prevent it. So the report goes on to say that we also found large racial disparities and BPD's arrest for drug possession. While survey data shows that African Americans use drugs at rates similar to or slightly exceeding other population groups, 
BPD arrested African-Americans for drug possession at a five-time greater rate of others. Hmm. Well, again, it goes back to the corner boy mentality. If you can't hide your crime, guess what? You're going to get arrested for your crime. Are black people arrested in Baltimore at a higher rate for drug charges? Probably. But when you look at the city demographically, there's not really that much square mileage of the city that is not African-American. So couple the fact that, again, if you're on the corner doing your dirt, you're going to get caught. If you have the female in your bed and your wife comes home, you're going to get caught, right? If you don't go to the hotel with the other female, you're going to get caught. So if you're doing your dirt out in the open, if you're doing your dirt in the streets, guess what's going to happen? You're going to get caught. Is it racial or is it situational? This one is kind of laughable to me, right? Because it's talking about excessive force. And it says officers, this is talking about Baltimore, officers frequently resort to physical force when a subject does not immediately respond to verbal commands. Well, again, this person that wrote this has no clue what they're talking about. Because remember, I've talked about the use of force continuum, and it starts with verbal commands, and then officers are allowed by law to escalate. So if I'm telling known corner boy to get on the ground and he doesn't, guess what my next step is? It's not to beg and plead. It's not to say I'm going to call your mama. It's not to say I'm going to call the school if you don't do it. My next step is outside of verbal commands, right? That's the use of force continuum. So for this to be in the report, again, it's laughable, but it's not laughable. It's something that pisses me off because it's so freaking biased. They resort to physical force when a subject does not immediately respond to verbal commands. Well, to them, what is immediate? If I say drop the gun, <laughs> Uh, that's about as immediate as I'm going to get with you. If I say drop the knife, that's as immediate as I'm going to get with you. If I'm taking you to jail, if I'm trying to arrest you and I say quit resisting, that's as immediate as I'm going to get with you. So what what does does not immediately respond to verbal commands mean to the person that wrote this report? That what are you supposed to give them 30 seconds? You're supposed to give them a minute? Were you supposed to go have a hamburger and come back, drink some coffee and come back? What the heck is not immediately responding to verbal commands mean to this person? Oh, hey, honey. Oh, no, nah. I'm just here dealing with the corner boy, waiting for him to get on the ground. How are the kids? Yeah, kids are fine. Yeah, I may run home for dinner and, uh, you know, kiss the kids goodnight. And, uh, wait, hold on. Nope, nope, he's still not responding. So, yeah, so I may come home for dinner and, uh, you know, kiss the kids. I may get some while I'm home, you know, before you go to bed. And uh, wait, hold on. Nah, he's still not responding. But anyway, so tomorrow we need to go by the bank. We need to go get the car wash. What? 
what what are you thinking, sir or ma'am? Not immediately responding. There's no such thing. You have a split second to protect your life. You have a split second to get a suspect into custody before he decides, hmm, oh, he hasn't put me in custody yet. I can either fight or I can run. And then, you of course, if they run and they get hurt, then it's a whole nother issue. And God forbid they have a pre-existing neck injury like Freddie Gray and then they die because they got taken down legally. And now I got to, you know, get sued and go to jail and get charged with all of this other stuff because I used force before they immediately, because they didn't immediately respond to my commands. Yeah, mm-hmm, that makes a lot of sense. Well, enough about the top four things that have pissed Vince off. It's time for roll call. And it's only fitting that, you know, I talked about the mentality of corner boys and, you know, officers being proactive and arresting for trespassing and this, that, and the other. Um, police officer Colin James Rose, Wayne State University Police Department in Michigan, Wednesday, November 23rd. So before Thanksgiving, his family will never see Thanksgiving the same uh, he succumbed to his gunshot wounds that he sustained actually Tuesday, uh, before Thanksgiving. He was a university police officer. He was in the area that ex- had experienced numerous thefts from vehicles the previous day. He informed dispatcher that he was making contact with a suspicious person standing on the corner, a corner boy. Uh, during the encounter, uh, he attempted to detain the man who pulled out a gun and shot him in the head. Of course, killing him instantly. So that whole mentality, that whole theory that all that stuff's unconstitutional and all this other crap, there's a reason police react the way they do. And this officer, Colin James Rose, never saw it coming. He never thought he'd wake up two days before Thanksgiving and be shot and killed, shot in the head. So he served with the department for five and a half years, served as a canine officer with the agency. He had previously served with Richland Police Department there in Michigan. He survived by his fiance. Godspeed to you, sir. Thank you for paying the ultimate sacrifice, protecting and serving, even though people thought that those car burglaries were probably just a misdemeanor, small crime. You are still doing your job, protecting and serving. I thank you for your service. My prayers to your family. I thank you for listening to me for the last 30 plus minutes. Right here on RadioInfluence.com. You could have been anywhere, but you decided to stop by. I greatly appreciate that. I want to thank my friends, Jerry and Jason over at Radio Influence for giving me the opportunity to be part of the family. I will see you guys next week. Thank you and good night. To continue the conversation, get updates on the show, and to find out when you can see him on television, follow Vincent on Twitter, at Vincent Hill TV. That's at Vincent Hill TV. This has been Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. This is a Dangerous Conversation with Scott Ledger Quick Fix on Radio Influence. I've seen nothing but huge amounts of stories where social media sites are now going to start to possibly decide what is a real news site 
versus a fake news site. Suddenly CNN and MSNBC and Fox suddenly get a, oh, 100% truth. Oh, yeah, they're, they're the legitimate source. This is awesome. We are seeing the media attack the media that's attacking the media. This is a beautiful thing. More and more people are exposed. More and more people have a Pinterest or Facebook or Twitter. More and more people can watch a YouTube video or subscribe to a channel. And I mean, there are people weighing in from halfway around the globe that now have four hundred to 500,000 uh, subscribers. And a woman that actually lives in Syria is telling you what the majority of everyone thinks. And the reason the Syrian people are backing Assad is because they recognize the big PNAC project for the new American century picture. They saw the Wesley Clark video and they realized that Syria was one of the seven strategic locations that the neocons, oil companies, large conglomerates needed to control. Period. But Russia has always been their ally. And over the last year, during Obama's last year, it's kind of been, you know, where there's there's been some bad stuff, by the way, and some a lot of local people and citizens killed. So frankly, I don't care who stands at the national anthem, and I, I really don't care what veteran didn't get fed at Denny's. Because on that level, I, I get it. Okay, that's cool, but you know what? I would prefer to put my energies into how do we slow the degradation of mankind because fewer and fewer, more powerful people control more and more of everything. True monopolies. And when you see the media, any media, starting to really whiplash and attack so-called new media, uh, internet media, fake news websites. By the way, yeah, most of it's fake. Most of it, not most of it, but go to each website. Click on the link. Scientists discover blah, blah, blah. Click on the link. If it takes you to some bullshit site, click on that link. And I've been caught. I've deleted, I think I said earlier in the show, probably about eight to ten links over the last couple of years. Decide for yourself. Dangerous Conversation with Scott Ledger can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and RadioInfluence.com. 